am I? Good morning. I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to Praise, the program that connects faith and daily life. Man's Radio. And on the final program for this year, I welcome John and Fiona Anderson from Nokalo Beg with the story of John's truly life-changing Walk for Freedom, which surprisingly has a powerful link to the Christmas story. But let's start with music, a beautiful setting by Dan Forrest of words by Howard Thurman, an African-American theologian and civil rights leader who wanted us to understand that Christmas Day is just the beginning. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, his coming into our world as a baby, but when the day has ended, then the work of Christmas begins. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart.
The Work of Christmas, a meditation by Pastor Howard Furman with music by Dan Forrest. During the summer, Zoe Anderson made a flying visit back to the island for a family party at home at Nokelo, and I had the chance to talk to her about her work with the International Justice Mission, and I learned the shocking truth that slavery, that I imagined had been wiped out in the 19th century, is in fact more of a problem today than at any other time in human history, with over 40 million men, women and children held in slavery globally. Every day, innocent people are beaten, raped and abused by slave owners who prey on those who are poor and weak. One in four victims of modern-day slavery is a young child. They're pawns in a multi-billion dollar industry where human trafficking alone generates over $150 billion each year. Zoe Anderson works for International Justice Mission, a global charity working with governments, community partners and lawyers around the world to not only free those who are in slavery and restore them to an independent and dignified life, but also to help governments to enforce the laws which already exist, to prosecute slave owners and make the business of slavery no longer a profitable option. I had no idea that modern-day slavery is such a global problem. Two other people were equally moved by Zoe's first-hand experiences, her parents, John and Fiona Anderson of Nokelo Beg, a busy working farm that also offers popular holiday accommodation and outdoor leisure pursuits. Now, in November, you probably saw the publicity surrounding John Anderson's decision to walk from Land's End to John O'Groats, a distance of a 1,000 miles that he completed in 48 days. Why it became known as John's Walk for Freedom and what happened while he was on that walk is what we're going to find out now in a conversation that I recorded just before Christmas, sitting in John and Fiona Anderson's warm and welcoming farm kitchen. I asked John to take us right back to the beginning when the idea of this marathon walk was just emerging. At the very beginning, probably quite selfishly, October last year, I was coming up to 60, went into a, a outdoor shop in, in Fort Williams. And while I was there, picked up this book which said Land's End to John O'Groats. And I looked at it and I thought, I wonder if I could do that. And at that time, Zoe, my eldest daughter, was there and she said, why not raise money for my charity while you're doing it? And then that would give a reason to do it so it wouldn't be purely selfish. The very nature of what you do keeps you very fit. But did you do any training for this? It's very difficult to train for something like that because it's day in, day out. I love going for a walk at the weekend and wouldn't think too much of going for 25 miles for a weekend walk because I'd know I'd have five or six days then to do other normal things and relax and recover. But what I wasn't so sure about is whether I would cope with the mental thing of actually getting up and walking for another day and then another day and then another day. Um, and thankfully, I was able to do that. Fiona, what did you think? I thought, well, you're not going on your own. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I'd go too. He's not having all that adventure without me, me sticking at home. So um, we didn't plan it quite well as well as we should have done. We didn't take long enough to plan it. We didn't really think particularly about the route. We just sort of winged it a bit. But it worked really well. And it was amazing the number of people we managed to visit and stay with. I, like many, many people, followed the blog that you did. And 
it seemed that you had some planned encounters and a lot of unplanned encounters. Yes, as Fiona said, we didn't really plan it to the fine, the fine detail, but uh, partly because I originally was planning to follow a cyclist route, and that was mainly on B roads and mainly from south to north because of the prevailing wind, which is very significant when you're cycling, less significant possibly when you're walking. But as a result of conversations, we changed the route as we went along. But it was amazing. There were some people I did expect to see and hope to see, but others I had no idea I'd meet and made new friends. And even the people we bumped into on walks, although we probably want to stay in touch with them, it was incredible just to meet them and share experiences. John, you started your walk with your daughter Zoe and you were still here and getting your support bus ready and then you went over and met up with John Fiona. And what shape did you find him in mentally and physically when you met up? He was enjoying it far too much by the time I got there. (laughs) He wasn't sure when he started whether he'd actually enjoy doing every day. But by the time he'd done 10 days, he was loving it. And after 48 days, he was still loving it. Would it be true to say, John, that you just started this with a, with a completely open mind and thought, let's, let's just see how it goes? Yes. I didn't know how my body would be from day to day, whether I would continue to enjoy it. But I did because everything was new for me too, because I wasn't used to that scenery. If I'd done it in the Isle of Man, I'd have an idea what would be around the next corner. When you're in Devon and Cornwall, which is an area of the country that I don't know very well, I had no idea what I was going to see around the next corner. And even going along the coastline, you know, it's dramatic um, going a couple of days up and down on the coast. Harder physically, but beautiful scenery, amazing scenery. To be honest, it wasn't a hardship to do this. It was a privilege. And I don't think many people get the opportunity to take two months doing something like that. And uh, if anybody ever got the opportunity, I would thoroughly recommend it, really, because it surpassed all of my expectations. Spiritually, what do you think it's done for you? I think it's made me slow down and have time alone or with God, but also to invest more in relationships, conversations, friends, school friends, university friends who I knew 40 years ago. To have an opportunity to spend time with them again, it's almost like a second opportunity, was a real privilege. And I really appreciated that and hopefully can continue to travel the journey with them. But that's what it's been. It's been a journey. Although I was walking it all the distance and nobody else was, there were so many people supporting me, encouraged me. I was aware of God instances along the way. You know, we call them coincidences sometimes, but they were so unlikely that you think actually God has had his hand on that. The only person I met who was traveling the same route but in the opposite direction, I met in the middle of a field. The chance of that happening is so unusual. And then I met him and he said, oh, you look like a serious walker. And then I looked at his shirt and this is what I should have had. I should have had a map of Britain on it. But anyway, he had a map of Britain. I looked at it and said, you're walking the same walk I'm doing, but he was doing it the other direction. So we took pictures and whatever, and he explained he was doing it for his daughter, who had an unusual, rare problem medically, and he was trying to raise funds for that. But then we took a picture because he was walking with somebody else. They took a picture of us together. I came back and told Fiona, and she said, you you won't believe this, but I think that is our daughter Kate's friend, and that is in York with my daughter Kate. And sure enough, it was. We just sent the picture to Kate. She said, that's him. How did you meet him? And we just met in the middle of a field, in the middle of the country, miles from anywhere. Because it was meant to happen. What did it do for you, Fiona? 
it gave us an opportunity to connect with lots more people than we normally would do. I mean, we meet hundreds of people during our lives in the Isle of Man, but I think we met even more when we were away. I think a lot, of, lot more people than we thought followed John's blog. I have an interesting expression, which John doesn't really appreciate. I said, let me get under your skin. And I think John actually became much more open in what he was sharing in his blog. And it let other people get under his skin a bit and it let them see what he's like. And I think quite often people don't see what you're like. But maybe when you're writing things, maybe you're a bit more open and honest about um, what's going on in your head as you're walking. And I think it gave both of us a chance to do that. I think meeting up with people every day gave me a chance to do that and just to be pretty frank. You think, actually, maybe I'm not going to see these guys again. Let's actually have proper conversations, not chit-chat. Let's have proper chats. That was great. We see you here on the island as very giving people, both of you. You're always looking after other people. You run a business that has at its heart people having a good time. You want people to come here and enjoy holidaying. You're very giving people. Do you think this was a time for you to just be together and just receive, taking you out of the busyness of the farm, the business, the hospitality? It's an interesting time in our lives. We're empty nesters from January. And so that's another reason we went, I suppose, to see actually what does God want us to do for the next phase of our lives and do we still like each other now we haven't got any children at home we do you'll be pleased to know (laughs) and we had a really really exciting time so yes it was a bit of a rest and people gave to us amazing amounts of stuff people were so kind to us they looked after us they fed us they watered us they drove us all over the place they walked with us people were very very good to us we were so fortunate and that in itself is a kind of faith in action isn't it especially unexpected acts of kindness is a faith experience in itself and you actually raised a lot more money than you planned to in the first place didn't you john yes originally the target well i thought about 10,000 we just said about 15,000 pounds which would have covered the cost of three rescue operations well present we're up to 37 and a half thousand pounds which is the equivalent of seven and a half rescues which is amazing it's really so encouraging and it's been encouraging for people along the way as well because everybody's contributed to this so it's really good they've just um, had a a celebration of now having freed 50,000 slaves since they started so that's great that's a huge number of people there are still 40 million people enslaved that's the horrifying thing. Beginning of the journey, I felt a bit hopeless. I thought, oh, even if we raise £10,000, there's still going to be 40 million people enslaved. And I thought I thought this again and again. Each day I was thinking, oh, we're not really going to... It's only a drop in the ocean. And then I just thought about it more carefully. I thought, actually, you've just got to do something. It doesn't matter if you don't solve all the world's problems. You've got to do something. And to know that seven groups of people are going to have this Christmas living in freedom because of John doing this walk is amazing privilege. Yeah, seven groups of people that would have been enslaved in factories or in fishing industries or brick kilns are now going to be walking free because we've done this walk and hopefully raised lots of awareness of it. Mm. It's not just taking them out of that situation. It's creating for them independence and a new life so they can go on and thrive. It's not just closing down that factory or taking away the workforce. It's re-establishing them in the world, isn't it? IGM are very good in that respect, in that, first of all, they work with governments rather than against them, because most of these countries have the legislation to prevent these things happening, but it's just not carried out. 
So they're encouraging working alongside governments rather than pointing the finger and trying to identify these. So they do have people working at the chalk face, taking risks, personal risks, to go into the situations to get evidence. But at the same time, they have the follow-up. They have very good lawyers, but also they have very good social workers so that they don't just rescue somebody and leave them. For the next year or two after that, they'll be looked after, they'll be watched to make sure that they are able to adjust to a new way of life, a new way of living and earning a living. Now, you're talking about rescuing people. These are very costly things to do because the charity have to be very careful in what they do, gather their evidence and be sure that they're going to be successful. Otherwise, you can make the situation worse, can't you, really? IGM are very good on that side of things. And interestingly enough... You know, we think about all the practicalities and there are risks. And sometimes Zoe phones us up and say, just pray tonight about this particular situation because they're going to do an operation tonight. But what amazes me about the charity is, as far as I'm aware, the only charity I know where they are actually paid to pray for half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the afternoon during their work time. So they're contracted to do that. So they pray personally in the morning And in the afternoon, they do it with the rest of the country. So on one particular day, when I was walking, I was given permission to become part of that prayer group. So as I was walking, I was listening to prayers from London, different parts of the country, and I was able to contribute to and pray with them. And I felt that was a great privilege. But also, I just thought it was such a great template for so many businesses and operations, because we can work and strive and strive and strive. But if God's not in it, it's not going to happen. We say that prayer underpins everything that we do. We find it easy to say that. But how intentional are we about it? They're not just saying it. They're actually, yeah, doing it. And the other thing that the um, IGM do, this the, the four stages, they rescue people, they restore them, but then they also carry on. They don't just leave them then. They then carry on and they work with the governments to try and repair the justice systems and they then try and put the perpetrators behind bars so that they know that in the end they can't get away with it. It makes slavery not an appealing prospect. And they're educating us in the West that it's our consumer choices that are driving a lot of this slavery industry. Yeah, I think it's been really interesting while we've been away. IJM have actually facilitated five or six rescues while we've been away and that's really challenged John and I about how we do our shopping so things like where we get our prawns from because quite often prawns are being fished by slaves in the Pacific so many things you think you haven't actually thought about I think it's quite obvious the um, sex trafficking and the brothels and things which is awful but we're maybe more aware of it but it's the other littler things children that are being forced to fish in Ghana uh, and some of them were rescued while we were away so that was really exciting Uh, people making our jewellery in India 50 of them were rescued while we were away and you think golly everything that I'm buying I have to be really careful where it comes from it's made us very conscious of the justice of our consumerism I think I think it's quite timely that we're having this conversation this Christmas time I must admit when I first started the idea of doing the walk and walking for a charity I thought well there's so many charities you could walk for because there's so many needs and so many reasons but actually I did see that parallel that actually we're trying to rescue people with IGM physically, but spiritually the big rescue operation was started 2,000 years ago when Jesus came as a baby to this world. 
to rescue us, really, because we all need rescuing. Each one of us mess. We mess up every day. We sin every day. We don't like the word sin, but we do things wrong every day and we need to be rescued. And uh, I did see the parallel. And I'm thinking, you know, if I had spent that time and people had given money to rescue somebody from a very difficult situation and they turned around and said, oh, we don't want to be rescued, that would be quite, quite hard to receive. But I wonder if Jesus sometimes would think the same, you know, and not only did I come as a child, as we know, through the nativity story to this world, but actually I died on a cross 30 years later in order that we could be rescued. If we just claim that and accept that, that Jesus is Lord, sometimes when we reject that, that must be very hard. Kingdom by Manx Choir Kirjan Kujak, the only Manx carol that so far found its way into the Oxford Book of Carols. Although the English words are comparatively recent, the tune is old and traditional.
This morning, I'm by the fireside at Nokelo Beg, talking with John and Fiona Anderson about John's walk from Land's End to John O'Groats, which has so far raised an amazing £37,500 for International Justice Mission, the global charity working to abolish modern-day slavery, which is currently more widespread than at any time in history. Something else for which Nokelo Beg is rightly famous is Born in the Barn, a retelling of the story of the birth of Jesus, acted out using members of the audience, real farm animals and in a genuine stable setting. There were performances on a number of days throughout December and I asked Fiona how successful it's been this year. It's been lovely. It's been, I think, our favourite year. And I think it's partly been our favourite year because we've had that whole concept that Jesus is God's great rescue plan. And we've mentioned that to all the children and their parents that have been to the shows this year. And I, I hope they've got the hang of that, that it's not just about a little nostalgic show, but actually it's talking about the spiritual significance of God's rescue plan for the world and that we're part of that. So it's been great. We love doing Born in the Barn. Living Hope are fantastic at getting behind us and supporting us and doing it entirely with us. They do every bit of it. Uh, We have a great team of people that bake cakes and lead donkeys and ponies and wash up endless plastic cups because I won't use the disposable ones. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a great team effort. There's probably, probably 80 of us involved in it. We've actually been able to show the Christmas story, the real Christmas story, to about 1,500 people this year, which is lovely. It's a massive privilege. I love chatting to people. Yeah, it's great. It's my greatest thing. I think there's been a huge amount of sickness this this winter. I think there were 120 children off cloth workers' school one day. So a lot of people who had booked tickets weren't able to come because their children were not very well. So we, we had over 100, probably 120 at each show, which was lovely. And it does give you that little bit more time with a few less people there. It's not quite so crowded in the cafe, so you get a chance to have a good chat with people. And we had some lovely chats. I hope people enjoyed it. I enjoyed the chats. I hope the people I was chatting to enjoyed it too. (laughs) I have been here and seen it. And it does bring the whole thing alive. You don't forget it. I'm sure there will be countless moments from your walk that you will never forget. Maybe moments that just the two of you shared. Maybe moments that you couldn't even put into words, but you'll never forget them. Yeah, I mean, there were moments on, on the walk. You know, sometimes there's certain events that happen in your life and you remember where you were when that happened. And we did have one such event on a day. I got a phone call from my sister just to say that her closest friend and somebody that we know well and love dearly had been killed in a car accident in South Africa. And uh, that was really hard that morning. I know I can, I can, I walk that walk forever now because I knew where I was at that time. But what was amazing was, again, strangely, God's timing in that who was with me on that walk at the time, but two of my school friends and two other people for IGM. And they were just so supportive at a time which for me was really, you know, really difficult. And uh, sometimes they probably couldn't think of words but just had an arm around his shoulder and just encouraged us at that time so there are moments like that and you think yeah I'll never forget that moment we had some worrying moments too I had some pretty anxious evenings in the camper van when John had been walking for two or three hours in the dark and his phone had broken and I wasn't quite sure he knew where I was (laughs) and I certainly didn't know where he was but uh, that's when you just pray you just stop you think actually Lord you know where he is Give him a hand. (laughs) And he did, each time. It was good. (laughs) Fiona and John Anderson, thank you very much indeed for talking to me. Thank you. It's lovely talking to you. Thank you very much. It's been a privilege.
Cloth for the cradle, cradle for the child, the child for our every joy and sorrow. Find him a shawl that's woven by us all to welcome the Lord of each tomorrow. Wrinkled with care and those whose brows are fair, searchers of all the ages, weave into one a welcome for the Son, the Savior of shepherds and of sages. Cloth for the cradle, cradle for the child, the child for our every joy and sorrow. Find him a shawl that's woven by us all to welcome the Lord of each tomorrow. Cloth for the cradle, cradle for the child, the child for our every joy and sorrow. Find him a shawl that's woven by us all to welcome the Lord of each tomorrow. A John Bell Christmas song from the Iona community, Cloth for the Cradle. And that's all that we've time for on Praise Today. Thank you to my guests, John and Fiona Anderson. And if you'd like to know more about the charity International Justice Mission, they've an excellent website, ijmuk.org, or just search for International Justice Mission. Thank you for listening to this week's Praise Podcast. There's a new Praise Podcast available every Sunday morning. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify via the Manx Radio smartphone app or at manxradio.com. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and as 2019 draws to a close, I wish you and those you love a new year that's truly blessed with peace, joy and contentment. The Nation Station makes ready.